So starting at chapter 7, verse 1, on 6, 7, 4. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long into their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one person, one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you might hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Luke says the teacher, this is what I've discovered, adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things, while I was still searching but not finding. I find one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. Andrew, thank you very, very much for reading. Well, as you heard that reading, some, some of us might be thinking, gosh, I wish I was upstairs in scramblers, because that sounds, um, especially with the, you know, the upper age limit being somewhat sort of up for grabs, uh, maybe you want to head upstairs, and that might sound a little bit easier than some of the things we've just heard. 
one upright man, no one right woman. What's that all about? Uh, what about the day of death being better than the day of birth? Lots of things in there uh, that maybe are confusing to us, and we're going to work through that together today. But let me just start with this. should come up on the screen. Uh, written into the newspaper just about a week ago from a man in North Yorkshire, he said this. Sir, I was assisting my 16-year-old daughter with her homework when she received a text from a mum, which read, what do you want from life? This was an unexpected and profound question for an exam-sitting teenager. We debated various answers, wealth, fulfillment, love, all three. Five minutes later, she received a second message blaming predictive text for correcting the word little. What do you want from little? Not what do you want from life, was what the text was, um, was, was supposed to say. And look, it's a bit silly, obviously, got to laugh um, as it's written into the paper. But it fits quite nicely with this book of Ecclesiastes, because we so often avoid or, or laugh off the heavy questions in life, don't we? Maybe like that letter written in there, oh gosh, that was a bit intense for an exam-sitting teenager, or for the person reading the, the letter. Let's just, let's just park those taboo topics, you know, let's just leave those tough questions in life. Yet this book of Ecclesiastes that we've been looking at over the last, well, three weeks now, it's forced us, hasn't it? It's forced us to confront the big questions. Our mortality, the meaning of life, the, the fleeting, transitory nature of life, our lack of control. Do you remember we saw last week over time and over life? Let's be honest, it's, it's not been a laugh a minute, has it, Ecclesiastes? But I trust it's been good for us as we've been looking at it together, that God has been at work in our lives. Do you remember then in these opening chapters that we've seen, uh, we've been listening to the teacher, that's how he's described back in chapter one, a King Solomon type sort of Old Testament figure. And he's exploring these big questions in life. And if you've been away or just need a reminder, I, I think really so far, and in some ways the whole book, you could break down into these three things. Number one, expect frustration. Number two, honor God. Number three, enjoy his good gifts. That's kind of Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. Number one, expect frustration. Okay, look, we, we know that, don't we? It's true to our experience of life. Things are hard, painful, disappointing. We're to expect that, Ecclesiastes says. Secondly, we're to honor God. Do you remember we've seen that? To fear God, to be in awe of him. And then third, we'll liberating message to enjoy his good gifts food drink friendship work even to enjoy those good gifts from him and by this stage then we're skipping ahead to chapter seven in this series today by by this stage the teacher who's uh, addressing us has worked out that we can't profit or gain from life under the sun there's no point in that life is fleeting it's transitory so verse 12 of chapter 6, just before where Andrew read, if you look at that on 674, verse 12, he says this, for who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through the shadow, uh, this uh, life like a shadow. In other words, what he's saying, look, life is just missed, it's fleeting, it's gone, so therefore how, how should we live our lives? You know, what does the good life look like in the days that we live and we're going to see the answer from chapter 7 is wisdom 
It looks like a life lived wisely. Did you notice when, uh, when Andrew was reading it out, it's, a, it's a quite a different tone from the rest of Ecclesiastes. The style is different. It's more, maybe you've read the book of Proverbs. Have you ever read that in the Bible before? It's, it feels and sounds a bit more like Proverbs than it does maybe what we've seen so far. And the teacher today, as he addresses this, is going to say to us, walk the way of wisdom. I'm writing at the end of my life, looking back. You've, you've got to walk the wise path, the wise way in life. Look at verse 11 of chapter 7 to see that. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing. Benefits those who see the sun. Or Proverbs 3 would put it like this. Blessed are those who find wisdom. Those who gain understanding. She is more profitable than silver. Yields better returns than gold. That you need wisdom. I need wisdom. And that's what we're going to be addressed by today. So I'm going to pray for wisdom as well as we look at this passage together. Father, just watching the news this week and, and, uh, and even looking at our own lives, we're, we're so aware that our world and us personally needs wisdom. Yet it f- so often feels elusive beyond us. But thank you that your word uh, in all its richness and all its fullness is, is precious, it's living, it's active and reveals to us what wisdom looks like supremely in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that we'd be engaged as we learn from the lessons from the teacher today. Would you speak to us? Would you grant us wisdom as we pray for it? In Jesus' name, amen. Three things that we see about wisdom. First of all, wisdom will face his death seriously. Have a look back at at verse 1. It starts off easily enough, doesn't it? A good name is better than fine perfume. It's quite nice, isn't it? Good name is better than fine perfume. I googled this week, the world's most expensive perfume, 1.29 million pounds. Uh, I presume it's more about the bottle than the smell. Uh, a bottle of Shumuk perfume, 1.29 million. And um, I have to say it's worth it, but it's, no, no. Um, 1.29, someone spe- spent all that. But, but what good is that if you smell amazing? You know, you come into the room and people go, oh, you know, that's wonderful, but your, your name, your reputation is just in the gutter. And people laugh when they hear that. What's the point in having the best Shamuk perfume in the world if your name is, your reputation's uh, not great? But he compares it, the point of that is he compares it to the rest of verse 1. He says, a good name is better than fine perfume. So, the day of death, better than the day of birth. What? <laughs> Does the Bible really say that? We might ask that we've all received, haven't we? The the, self, the text or you know the, the photos from um, from the maternity ward as proud parents, you know, with their little newborn baby, and we love seeing those pictures. No one sends a selfie from a funeral hearse, do they? No one, no one does that. What does it mean in verse one? Well, well, verse two makes it a bit clearer. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Let me be very clear. It's not saying that death is better than life. Death, the Bible says, is horrible. It's wrong. Do you remember Jesus Christ in John 11? Uh, His friend Lazarus has died, and he weeps. It's wrong. It's horrible. I'm painfully aware, just as I 
preach this today, that, that actually even the mention, even the topic today for some people here will feel extremely painful. Someone dying in our, in our life, maybe in our family, it, it, colors, it colors every day for us. And it might do until the day we die. The point here it's showing is that, I guess he's saying death is a, is a teacher. It's, it's an evangelist, you might say. And the wise person listens as they're confronted with their own mortality through the experience. So in the hospital ward, the, the normally, not, not always, but normally the mood there with a the new baby is, is joy and excitement. No one's talking, are they, about the brevity of life in, in hospital in that maternity ward. But at a funeral, the mood is, well, it's thoughtful, isn't it? The facts of life are made plain. He says we learn more in a house of mourning than a house of feasting. And, and that's true, right? We, we learn more, we could say, at graveside than at Glastonbury about life. And again, let me be clear, the, the teacher here is not saying that we can't ever have a party or f- have fun or smile. Uh, we don't have to, as Christians, sort of be Captain Gloom as we go through life. No, Ecclesiastes wouldn't say that. And actually, do you remember Jesus? Again, you know, he goes to parties, he hangs out with people, he, he turns water into wine. We don't need to be gloomy and moody through our whole lives. Rather, what it's saying is that the person who just parties hard, laughs loudest, drinks fastest through life, they're taking the route of escapism rather than facing reality. You get that at funerals, don't you? You see, maybe if you've been to a funeral recently, you know, see some people at the end of the funeral sitting there, just st- sort of glued to the seat, reflecting on, on that person's life, maybe their own life slowly walk out the church and and then you get some people who well they can't wait to get out of the door you know let's get to the wake let's get drunk uh, you know it's what jerry would have wanted as people say don't they as they they run out of the church rather than bury our head in the sand or, or joke death away it's better to be confronted by reality the teacher says than escapism maybe you think as you hear this you think Gosh, this is all a bit sad, morbid, depressing. Why is he saying this? Well, just let me say two little, little things on this. One, death or an illness, it does offer a gift of, of seeing how precious life is, doesn't it? As we're confronted maybe with death or illness, it, it shows in us how, how precious life is. I remember hearing a few years ago about a guy in, um, he was cycling in central London, maybe a day like this, it was a bit slippy, and he... Um, with his bike, you know, it's the kind of thing that no one wants to do, on the, the drain, the, the grills there, his, his tire just went through them, and he just went over. Fortunately, he was wearing a helmet, and the helmet was crushed on his bike, and he was fine, he went to hospital, and they said, if you hadn't worn that helmet, you would have died. And he said that, he looked at this crushed helmet, and the next morning, he said, cornflakes never tasted that good. Um, the laugh, you know, the annoying things that his family did suddenly weren't annoying anymore <laughs> um, as he just kind of showed in the precious. It, it, it focuses us, right? To, to show you, what do we want from life? What kind of person do I want to be? Second little thing it, is I think that it, it, I guess it's sort of like sm- the sort of spiritual smelling salts that wakes us up to well, judgment, salvation, as we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on the last day, heaven or hell. It's a reality check. 
It sobers us. Of course, many people would uh, do anything, anything possible to avoid the topic. Uh, a friend of mine, his, his dad, uh, a few years ago, was diagnosed with, um, uh, age 62, with inoperable gallbladder cancer. And uh, he was a Christian man, 62 years of age. And um, he was obviously so sad that he was going to be leaving his, his family behind. Um, but also he had a great hope that actually he was going to heaven. And he was so confident as a Christian that that's where his hope was. And he, in his last 15 months, he, he chatted to loads of people about this reality. But he said so many people just did not want to engage with, with it or him because of this. And he said he went to get his hair cut one day and he was getting his hair cut. And uh, the same lady that did it normally and sort of banter and chattiness and all this. And she said, oh, how are you? And he says, I'm dying. I've got two, three, four months left. And she said he just, that this lady just suddenly uh, couldn't look him in the eye, didn't want to engage, and he sort of tried to, you know, chill out the mood a little bit and sort of said, well, you know, how are you, how's work? She couldn't get a word out of her after that for the rest of the time. Sense she was, can't blame her for, in some ways for that, but at the same time she's doing it, what Ecclesiastes warns against. I said, some here will be painfully aware of this reality. Of course, there will be others that, I think in some ways, this is me, central London. There's not really any graveyards, are there? There's a few. But we're sort of quite immune in, in lots of ways to the reality of death. Maybe in the office, everyone's young, people are healthy, no sort of scares or illnesses. Even in this church, 15 years has it been going, Trinity? Only one, one person has died, I think, that's right. Jonathan, a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago. That's unusual for a church. Go anywhere else in the country and that's just not a usual picture. Of course, Jonathan, people are missing where he would have sat, wouldn't they? Just near the front here. That's a sadness for many of us. But even his death reminded us as a church of the hope of heaven. That we don't grieve as those without hope. Death is a teacher, and the wise person, or the wise person listens, the teacher says here, is matured, is deepened, although we walk with it through sorrow. And that kind of person, it, it goes on to say, well, uh, the person who gets this won't listen to the song of fools. I guess those who deny this reality in verse 6, that's what it's getting at when it says, the crackling of thorns under the pot. I think that's a bit like a, a fire that starts, but then it sort of loses its heat straight away. It's not use much use for anything. No, rather the verse 5, the wise person will listen. Listen to the rebuke or challenge of someone who is more mature, wise than them. The way of wisdom surrounds themselves with, with wise, honest voices in their lives. People who are more, more, more mature spiritually, maybe have been a Christian for, for more years than they have. So it's worth just asking every now and then, isn't it, in your own life? But who are those voices in your life? People in your life who, who can perhaps sometimes challenge you, rebuke you, even not, not all the time, but every now and then. Of course, that comes from love. It should do when someone does that. Or, or do you just surround yourself with people in, in your life, just banter, just laugh kind of all the time and never take anything seriously? It's good to laugh, it's, that's okay, but are there any voices in, in your life? Why not maybe just, it doesn't need to be everyone, but, but two or three people 
in your life who can challenge you, speak honestly with you. Maybe you could invite someone here who you know in, in your life today to, to be that person. It doesn't mean every single, con- you know, after coffee, after church, oh, you've asked me to rebuke you. Let me get my list of 17 things. No, of course not that. But maybe a prayer triplet, some will be in that. Just three of you, just get together, speak honestly about things. Because actually, as we, we listen to wise voices, it helps us avoid the dangers of verses 7 to 10. Verse 7, the, the law of money. Verse 8, impatience. Verse 9, bitterness. Verse 10, nostalgia. That sounds a bit odd. Nostalgia. Uh, it's more typical, isn't it, in the older generation? You know, the, the sort of walking stick. They go, it, it wasn't like that back in my day, that kind of thing. But, but actually, we're all a bit prone to that, aren't we? Even at Trinity, we can think, oh, do you remember back in, you know, 06 when the church was, was this big or there were this many children or, or back in this? Actually, I don't, it only started in 2007, didn't it? Just checking you're all still awake, good. Um, but do you know what I mean? We, we can easily fall into this trap. But it's a form of escapism, not trusting that God is, is at work in the present, believing that he is at work now among us. Wisdom that has learned to face death seriously but it gives us perspective on how we live our lives. Picking up the pace a bit, the second thing we see then, wisdom trusts God's sovereignty. Let me look at, uh, read from verse 13. Consider, we're told, what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. It was a bit of echo of, of last week, if you were here last week. Uh, but the surprise does come, doesn't it, in verse 13. He has made this crooked. Uh, both one and the other. God, through his, what we might say sometimes, providential hand, both good and bad, are from him. Maybe that's a surprise as we hear that. We had um, the, the car before the one we've got at the moment. We had a, <clears throat> a Vauxhall Corsa, classy car, 1.2 struggled to get up pretty much every hill that it, it tried to um, but one day I took it for a service that was becoming more and more regular and the guy gave me the bill at the end and he said oh yeah we had to do a few things because your your alignment had gone and I you know I'm pretty clueless on these things but even I could start to work out you know when he was explaining it basically if you didn't really hold the wheel the car was just going in this direction because we might have clipped a curb or something and obviously the alignment needed to be corrected. That's, that's fairly important as you drive a car. And maybe it feels a bit like that with life, that our lives, we, we just want them to be on the straight and, and, and going well and fine and smooth. But yet there's, there's crooks, there's a kink that just our lives just aren't not going the way that we want. And Romans 8 would fill that out for us even more by saying creation was subjected to frustration. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. It's easy, isn't it, to use words. I don't know if you do this sometimes, like, oh, fate. You know, it feels neutral. But here it says, actually, no, God has done these things. These are from his wise, loving hand in our lives. Sometimes that's called divine providence. You might have heard of that. I want to say very clearly, it's not, as the Bible would say, saying that God is morally out of line or that he is the author of evil. That's not what the Bible says. Rather, it's saying that we live in a a post-Genesis 3 world. Some of us would have studied that, wouldn't we, at Bible study group the other night, at small groups. 
We live in a, a world affected by sin and the fall. And uh, one of the results, similarly to what we saw last week, is that we can't see the whole picture. We can't see exactly what God is doing in our life with the crooks. And that can be frustrating, but the wise person accepts this. There's loads that baffles us in life, right? Loads that we can't understand. Verse 15 is one example. It says halfway through there, the righteous perishing. Uh, sorry, let me read it from the beginning of verse 15. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness, the wicked living long in their wickedness. You know, why is it that the couple who I heard of a few years ago, just, just married, young couple, going to serve Jesus in universities in that mission field, on holiday in Greece, their, their vehicle comes off the cliff and they die. Why does that happen? Yet the corrupt businessman who's, you know, doing dodgy deals the whole way through his life, smoking 40 a day, is in good health in his, 40, in his 90s at the end of his life. Some things we can't understand. And, and maybe even hearing today God's sovereignty or God's providence, we, we ask the question in our lives, why me? Why this crook in my life? That health issue that I experience every day. The, the marriage that I thought was going to be brilliant and it's just not straightforward. The, the singleness that just feels so, so isolating in London at times. Or losing that parent just too, too many years too young. Thomas Boston, this guy coming up behind me um, here. Thomas Boston, he was a Scottish uh, theologian a few centuries ago. He struggled the whole of his life with, with bad health. His wife had chronic illness, perhaps mental illness as well. It was before kind of those things were, I guess, realized in the same way they would be today. And he lost six of his ten children, some of them in, in childbirth. And he asked the question, perhaps, that we're asking, why has God made things crooked? Even when we prayed for them to be straight, why still the crooks? And he preached a sermon on this verse of Ecclesiastes, and it's, it's not exhaustive in, in terms of what the whole Bible says, and he goes outside of Ecclesiastes. But let me just say three things from his, uh, his analysis that might be helpful. One, he says, crooked things, will, they sometimes test to help us to see whether we really trust Jesus. See, often we can say, oh yeah, we follow Jesus, yeah, he's sort of a nice add-on on our life, but... But sometimes the crook shows, no, am, I, am I resting on him? Am I trusting him, leaning on him? Crooked things he says. Secondly, will they turn our hearts away from the, the everyday, the here and now, and, and help us to, well, to hope in heaven? Look to that. You know, this world can feel like home, but, but these experiences, they, they make our heart long for eternity, forever. Third thing he says, Crooked things in our lives, they, they reveal sin. Both sin in the world and, and sometimes our own sin. He's not saying that, that every time we suffer it's because of our sin. No, he's, he's not saying that. But he's saying it would also be a mistake to, to miss the opportunity to, to repent of unconfessed sin, if that's the case sometimes in our life. It's not exhaustive. The Bible says more than those three things. But maybe that's a help to some today both good and bad, they come from, from a sovereign, providential God who, who loves us, cares for us, 
through these things, even if we often don't know what he's doing exactly. How do we respond to this? Well, verse 16 uh, says this, maybe surprisingly, do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. See what he's saying there? Two wrong paths, one right path. First, wrong path, don't be over-righteous. That sounds a bit of a strange thing for the Bible to say, over-wise. Well, I think it's a warning here. Do you, do you remember the Pharisees? Sort of super spiritual, adding extra laws to try and sort of twist God's arm to, to just sort of give them a nice easy life to buy their way into heaven. Don't be over-righteous, kind of adding to the Bible to, to try and shape our life so it's nice and easy and straightforward. Maybe more obviously, don't be over-wicked. That's the path of destruction. Rather, the middle course, the wise path, he says, is to fear God. Be in awe of God. Proverbs, do you remember, says that biblical wisdom begins and ends with the fear of the Lord. Be in awe of him. Listen, every one of us, I'm pretty sure, uh, here today has got a crook in our life. one way or other if we chatted deeply enough there's things in in each of our lives that we would love wouldn't we to change or to edit out of our experience but ecclesiastes 7 says actually the the wise person fears god trusts him knowing, knowing that he is well he's weaving something beautiful even out of suffering in our lives a guy another guy who understood this william cooper uh, it was a, a hymn writer. I don't think we sing it at Trinity, but you might have come across one of his hymns, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, His Wonders to Perform. And he was a man who suffered the whole way through his life in lots of different ways, a lot from depression, uh, big struggles with, with depression. And he wrote this hymn, and, and one of the verses, he puts it like this, His God's uh, purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. You see what he's saying there? The, the bud of the, the, the flower, the plant, that, we, we don't see the whole picture, do we? It looks a bit sort of unimpressive, bitter, but actually it is weaving together to something beautiful in the end. He was a man struggling with depression. He could see that the Lord was doing this in his life, even if he couldn't work out the details. He trusted that sweet will be the flower. God is weaving a, a story, a pattern, It'll be beautiful. Maybe you can listen to that hymn later. God moves in a mysterious way. And then more briefly, the last thing we see from this is that wisdom accepts human limitations. We're to pursue wisdom. It's a good thing. And verse 19 shows that wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. Wisdom, he says, better than folly. Yet if we're looking for exhaustive wisdom, Well, it's beyond our reach. Look at verse 23, halfway through. He said, I'm determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So even Solomon, if this is perhaps attributed to him, even Solomon, he was showered with wisdom from God. Do you remember? Even he knew the limits and the boundaries of wisdom. And just as death puts a limit on our life, God's sovereignty puts a limit on our understanding, so we're limited in our wisdom. Uh, The book of Job 
It'll come up on the screen here in the Old Testament. He was a man who understood this. It said, where does, then, does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It's hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. This is a, a repeated theme in the wisdom books in the Bible. We need to know that human wisdom, it is limited. And so is human righteousness. Look at verse 20. This is a verse you might recognize from Romans, the book of Romans. Indeed, there is uh, no one who on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Even if you had all the wisdom in the world, morally, you're not righteous. Verse 26 is an example of that where it says, I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. I guess here it's an example, it's a type of unrighteous woman who is like a snare to a man. You, you get this theme in the early chapters of Proverbs, so sexual temptation um, that the man is to be wise to, uh, to flee from. Look, it's, it's not saying that all women are like this, but I was clear on that. Some are, and so are some men as well, by the way. We're probably aware of that. The righteous person avoids such temptation. But, but righteousness, just in the last couple of verses, the uh, righteousness uh, has its limits. Verse 28, halfway through again. I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. Again, is this sexist? Is he being sexist? What's he got against women here? <laughs> we might ask. Well, the Bible actually has much to say, more to say about how sinful men are than women are, if you look at the whole Bible together. And again, here just, he's recording his experience. It's not dogmatic. It's his experiences he's observed. Maybe he's talking about David, uh, his righteousness, but possibly some people think that. But no one comes out well in verse 29. All have gone after their schemes. All have fallen, we might say. And so Ecclesiastes 7, it calls us. It calls us to, to be wise, to live wisely with those things that we've seen, to, to face death seriously, to trust God's sovereignty, to accept human limitations. But the story doesn't end there. <laughs> See, 2,000 years ago, one, we're told, greater than Solomon came. Solomon, uh, for those who don't know, he was the big name of wisdom, okay, in the Old Testament. Yet as Jesus Christ came, he outshone Solomon by far. He was perfectly wise and also perfectly righteous. Of course, he died on, on the cross, Jesus, in, in a way that, that looked foolish, very foolish, as he died on the cross. Yet Paul would say that, that that death was the perfect display of God's wisdom. That you and I here, we're not wise naturally. Yet we can be through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus has become for us the wisdom from God. And so as the Apostle Paul puts it, in Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you want to be wise? Well, make it your life work to look to Jesus Christ, who we are united to by faith. He is everything that you and I need. 
But look, we won't understand the details of life, every single thing. Things will taste bitter like the buds. But in Jesus Christ, we have all that we need. New life. He, he died for, for us. He, well, he helps us by his Holy Spirit to live wisely through our life. So this week and the next few days as we go out in the rain after this into our week, look to Jesus, true wisdom. Search the Bible as, it, as you read it, as it speaks of him, because in Jesus Christ are hidden all treasures for us to discover and find and enjoy. So live for him wisely. Very lead us in prayer. Lord, again, we've been confronted in Ecclesiastes with things that uh, touch uh, sensitive areas in our life, hard areas perhaps for some of, maybe many of us here today. And Lord, it's easy to, to hear these things and, and perhaps shut off some of these things that we've heard, but I pray that you would let this seed and the word that we've heard be planted in good soil in our lives. Lord, would, you listen, would we listen to these things? Uh, would we want to live wisely uh, through that faith and union that we have enjoyed through Jesus Christ together? Thank you that he is true wisdom, true righteousness. Help us remember that in a minute as we take the Lord's Supper as well, that he, well, he died for us to be all the things that we couldn't be. Help us to reflect on these things, Lord, to, to challenge each other, to enjoy these truths as we go about our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.